Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We are back with another Neurodiversity Stories, and I'm your host. My name is Darren Clark, and I am here every single Friday, without fail, um, to share more awareness around neurodiversity and also share other people's story around neurodiversity. Guys, we have had a phenomenal amount of guests that have, um, that have asked to be on this show, so I'm absolutely blown away. Uh, we have a, a huge list of people that are waiting to come on, and we've had an incredible amount of uh, fantastic guests that have been on this show as, as well. And we have another phenomenal guest. He's a real uh, great friend of mine uh, with Kieran Windsor. Uh, and he's going to be sharing uh, his kind of his take really and his, his, his experience on the educational system and also as well as his experience um, of his uh, of his son with the ADHD. So uh, I'm going to be welcoming Kieran uh, very, very shortly. Um, but why are we here and why do I do this? As I mentioned before, I'm a global neurodiversity consultant and my objective really is to spread more awareness around your universities, to hear people's story, and ultimately to have you guys uh, share your stories as well. So, guys, if you are tuning in live, uh, just let us know again uh, where you're tuning in from. I'm just again amazed how far this stretches out to uh, to Kenya. We had Malawi, we had Australia, over in America as well. So please feel free to pop um, who you are and where you're tuning in from uh, in the comments. It's always great to hear. And also feel free to connect with anyone else that's obviously uh, put in the comments as well. So guys, um, we like I said, we're gonna have another fantastic show uh, today. This again, obviously I would like to give a big shout out to, uh, to our sponsor, Scanning Pens, and please check this out. So guys, Scanning Pens are sponsoring our show and they, their story is very, very simple. They were created to empower people to help them with assistive technology uh, to, with around dyslexia. They uh, they are a global organization and they help uh, the educational system and the organization system. So please do check out uh, Scanning Pens. So guys, without further ado, I'm gonna be bringing on my guest. I normally say next guest. Uh, um, but uh, this, this is, like I said, this is a really great uh, friend of mine, Kieran. You're going to absolutely love this guy um, in the sense of what he, the value he brings. Um, but uh, Kieran, like you said, is a business coach and advisor. I've known him for a very, very uh, long, long time. Uh, great friend. And it'd be great to get his views on neurodiversity and how that um, works for him and his family as well. So, guys, sit back and I'll introduce you to Kieran. Kieran, how are you doing, my friend? Morning. I am very well, mate. Very well indeed. Lovely to be here. Thanks for the build up. <laughs> I was going to do it for about another eight to ten hours, but I thought I'd just I'd just leave it as a couple a couple of minutes. I was going yeah, a five page bio. Just read through it. <laughs> Kieran, um, as as uh, I've only really kind of briefly kind of mentioned. Um, Although you don't work uh, primarily in the, you know, the neurodiversity kind of sector, so to speak, um, I mean, I, I'm sure with people that you kind of mentor and, and kind of work with, I'm sure there's uh, an element of crossing paths. But it would be really great um, to kind of just for you to kind of introduce yourself and just kind of tell people a little bit about you and what you do. And then we can kind of go into, um, you know, the other parts as well. So 
uh, please feel free to tell, let people know uh, who you are. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, my name's uh, my name's Kieran, and uh, I currently work as a as a coach consultant uh, with a company called Business Builder, and I work with predominantly professionals and other service providers to help them grow their businesses. And that's really about sort of finding uh, clarity about their position and focus on the future and confidence to go and deliver that. Um, so, you know, for me, it's very much about the personalities and motivations and aspirations of individuals. And that's really always fascinated me is, uh, is, is the people that we come into contact with every day. And, and of course, the nuances that we all have, which makes it such a beautiful place to be. Absolutely. And and I guess, you know, uh, with, with regards to, well, I mean, when we say you don't work in the kind of neurodiverse kind of sector, I mean, I, I think, you know, we all collectively kind of work in that sector, you know, realistically, because, you know, working with people, working with one client one day could be different to, you know, um, you know, the different needs and stuff could be uh, on, on the other aspects as well. The reason I, I, I put you on um, on here, Kieran, um, is just to kind of get your view on the um, the kind of your experiences with with neurodiversity mm -hmm. and kind of and and we're kind of it'd be great to kind of talk about that and you know the educational system and how it kind of how it's kind of structured and and you know moved from experiences. So you 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 have a um, a, is it a son and a nephew um, with with ADHD? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my nephew's in his twenties now and uh, and. Actually struggled with ADHD or it was diagnosed quite a long time ago and my my youngest son also has ADHD so there are some similarities between them yeah we, he's been diagnosed for about three or four years now okay so so in the grand scheme of things um it's kind of it I mean I, I look at my diagnosis as kind of you know very late in the sense of you know 36 37 um but, mm. but even, that, even that um you know you're talking three or four years ago it's still quite late diagnosis yeah absolutely and, and and this is something we've talked about isn't it that you know actually I, I think that the amount of information that's available to to us for, uh, about ADHD is, is great now and for for adults finding out in late di diagnosis that that's there's something that they can sort of attribute certain behaviors to or experiences is to means that they've got somewhere to look for information and and then they can recognise themselves, hopefully, within that uh, that research and, uh, and and see how they might be able to apply those learnings to to moving forwards. So you have a much clearer understanding. And I think with, but with children, of course, they don't have the luxury of really wanting to or or, or, or um, access to the same research. Certainly, as parents, none of us get the sort of the parental handbook when the baby's handed to you. Um, and, and it certainly doesn't have a big section in it saying, and by the way, look out for this just in case they're diagnosed as ADHD in 10 years time. So it, it is a big challenge. And, and you mentioned the education system, of course, so many people involved with with children all of the time. But teachers, you know, are they are not necessarily equipped to deal with this sort of thing either. And the system as it is, is probably not very well equipped. So it's just a big challenge for everyone, really. That's your, your your point about late diagnosis, I think, is absolutely right. Even though James was starting to go through the process of diagnosis around 10, um, it wasn't until he was 11 that he was diagnosed. And I still think that was quite late. 
And, and with re with regards to that, I mean, what was the kind of, can you remember kind of the process? Um, you know, was it a long process in the sense of the diagnosis? And, and did you always kind of feel like there was something that, you know, you needed kind of support with? You know, what was that kind of like from a, from a parent point of view, if you don't mind me? Yeah, I, I do. I, that's, that's a really great point because, you know, it, it isn't 2020 hindsight is always a, a wonderful thing to, to apply to anything. But, you know, we, we certainly recognised that there were, he, he was slightly different. He was the, he's the youngest of three. And so he was, he, he, some of his behaviours were slightly different uh, than our, our previous experiences. But, you know, we're not really equipped to know exactly what that's, uh, what that's attributable to at the time. But yeah. certainly for us, we had, uh, he was in his last year of, um, of junior school. So he's, I think, 10 at the time. And we got called in to speak to the SEN um, who, who very frankly and honestly said that she was going to see another child in in in, in the same class, okay. um, and very quickly saw what James James's behaviours and sort of not ignored the other kid, but but saw that James was someone of interest and flagged it up for us, and and knew we'd ever be grateful for her for doing that. Um, and I think it, but I think it took it was over a year well over a year actually before an official diagnosis was made by which time he was into secondary school and coming towards the, the sort of end yeah. of uh, the middle end of his first year there yeah which of but, course is a big change for everyone absolutely so so it was in kind of what we say in the uk kind of primary primary school so it was yeah. in kind of the, the 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 kind of the last year i guess in in primary school that it was kind of picked up and and do you find, you know, because I remember primary school uh, as in, you know, kind of, I really enjoyed primary school. I mean, I just think of it as like stickle bricks and colouring in and just having fun. You know, I don't think, I'm sure my age when I say stickle bricks. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, kind of that element. And I guess towards the end of, uh, you know, the, the primary school, then it starts kind of preparing you for big school, so to speak. In mm. And then it kind of... Um, you know then the tests start getting in and, and then it's kind of where are you going to sit when you go to that secondary school so do you think it was kind of picked up around sort of that time when he was being kind of assessed more yeah i think so. i think that's a really good point that you know it, it, certainly for the education system system in this country that we test our kids pretty much like all the way through but against different measures but it starts to get a bit more serious towards the end of junior school, around 9, 10, 11, doesn't it? When when going into senior school, which is then pretty much building them up for their first tier of exams when they're 15, 16. And, um, and of course, the significant difference is that you they go from being sort of top of the, the hill, if you like, as being the biggest kids in the school, in quite a big school, actually, uh, and everyone's younger than them to flipping that into being very much the youngest their pre sort of growth spurt and their pre-maturity and being around kids that are 15 16 and certainly around here the schools that the school that James originally went to um, has got uh, sixth form as well so you know quite a quite a daunting it, um, situation yeah. for anyone at that at that age but it is, I mean, I, you know, you kind of, I mean, you, you kind of remember, you know, roughly kind of what school was like, you know, um, and then obviously then you relive it through your, you know, your children's eyes. 
Um, but it is, I mean, it, 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 it's such an, that big, that step from, you know, primary school, so kind of your first school to your second school, you don't realize how much of a pressure that that is. I mean, it's not just educational side, it's, you know, it's peer pressure is, there's so many elements um, that are kind of, you know, that, that you need that confidence for. And I guess, if you then, as soon as you hit that kind of big score, so to speak, your secondary education, you are then um, kind of tested uh, in the sense of you know what class you sit in, whether you're, and and then obviously that that isolation away from your friends that you so say you know that you went with your primary school into your secondary school. There's so many moving parts, um, at, yeah. you know, for, for a child to have that, and then you put the kind of the neurodiverse element to it as well. It, it can be incredibly overwhelming. Definitely. I, you, you know, you're going from a school year of, I don't know, 50, 50 children to a school year of 250, 300 kids, um, plus the age differences and the expectation differences. And, and, and outside just the testing, there's also the judgment that comes with that. And they're being judged by their peers every, every day, being judged by their seniors every day. Um, you know, te we, we, everyone judges each other. It's a, it's a natural trait, although, you know, it'd be nice if we didn't, but we do. Um, and, and of course, the, the, the people that believe that we're being judged the most are, is, is ourselves. You know, yeah. even, even if other people aren't judging us, we think we're being judged. So it's, it's a really pivotal time. And one of the things that's clear to me is that, you know, none of us like really like change. I don't it, it's it's rare for me to come across people who really embrace big change. Um, and it's something you talk about with clients quite a lot. But certainly with uh, in ADHD, I've recognized that change is, is really very disruptive um, and, and unsettling. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely, definitely say that. And, and again, you know, I guess we, we, you know, maybe it's a case of um, I was having this conversation with someone the, the other day and, and they were saying about change and they were saying that um, when it's, you know, we, we, you know, we get up, we change our clothes and we change this or we change our cars. And it's almost there, there's certain things um, that that, you know, we continuously change every single day. There's something I change, our, even if our, our cells and our bodies change. You know, we haven't got the mm -hmm. same cells we had, you know, years ago. But but I guess it's those those elements that um, really kind of. Uh, kind of you know make you feel really uncomfortable with those those change and and I went it made really interesting to know whether it's because it's changed us out of our control or it makes us uncomfortable I mean you know the the science behind it you know the psychology behind it would be really interesting to know but you, like you said that the change element is it, you know when you've got a, a child at that kind of young age implementing those changes can be really kind of it can go one or two ways can't it yeah, oh, definitely, and it's um, it's foundational change, isn't it? Rather than superficial change, I guess that. Um, but you know, one of the things that comes that that I've seen that came come came with ADHD certainly for for my son was that sort of the, the enjoying routine, and, yeah. and there's some comfort there in seeing the same things happening every day and doing things in the same way, and it can become a little bit obsessive, but um yeah when when you when you throw change at that then it's even more destabilizing than it might be for someone else who who's not got the same diagnosis that's for sure absolutely and you know i i'm kind of you know still i mean speaking to you know yourselves you know parents with uh, children with adhd and you know people with adhd i mean i'm learning more i mean like i said i was diagnosed at 36 36 37 with adhd mm -hmm. and, and dyslexia so i'm really kind of still honing in you know because 
all those years prior to that, I'm kind of thinking, well, that's just the norm. That's just how I deal with these, yeah. uh, you know, these situations like sensory overload. You know, when I feel, you know, I'm surrounded. I love going to events. I mean, you know, when we can, um, and uh, having all the kind of hustle and the bustle and the noise. But then I kind of get this sensory overload where I then need to kind of move, you know, move to a quiet place, put some headphones in, and kind of, you know, just real kind of rebalance. And I guess in the school environment. In, you know can be very loud it can be you know you know ongoing there's not a lot of space to to be able to have those kind of quiet times which yeah that's right for a student mm. yeah I, th I think that's a really good point there's 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 kind of no respite from it and um you know be, being in that school environment with so many other people around there are huge distractions which are easily easily uh followed um and you know the academic system is not necessarily of interest um but certainly just the the ability to sort of sit still in in, in a classroom with 30 other kids it's hard enough for teachers as it is to have 30 kids in a room and, and keep everybody's attention let alone yeah. if you've got people with attention deficit by definition is you know, and of course, you're trying to manage that. It's not just the impact on that on that child with the diagnosis; it's the impact on the other kids that that become affected by the by the distraction of someone who doesn't is literally unable to to sit still for that amount of time. Because we, um, we think, sorry, please go on. I was just going to say that the, the the unfortunately the way that that gets dealt with is to you know we need to sit still and be quiet. We're not sitting still and be quiet. It's pretty tricky for <laughs> for kids with ADHD. Um, and then you know, the, the, there seems to be a really robust disciplinary process in 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 our education system. So you know, it scales quite quickly, and there are quite detailed steps. So you, you know, get told off, put on the board, you get one, two, three marks, and then by the time you get to three marks, you get taken from a class, put in isolation. I mean, just the word isolation fills me with heebie-jeebies oh. let alone you know got someone who 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 struggles to sit still and be quiet taken out of an environment where there is a there are at least other people put into an environment where there are very few people and expected to stay quiet and and stay still because it's essentially a punishment you know, it, it's just i mean where's that naturally going to end up well, well i can tell you where it ends up it ends up in 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 them pushing back and in there pushing back, the only natural way for, for the school to deal with it is to continue to follow the disciplinary process. And we know where that ends up and it ends up with kids not being in school. Absolutely. And, it, you know, if you if you think about that, that element, you know, we, we touch on the isolation uh, part, which can be, you know, really devastating because, you know, most people going through secondary school kind of just want to keep their head uh, kind of down and just kind of, you know, get through kind of the, the educational side of it because there is so much you know so much peer pressure and there's so much going on and and the minute you're kind of singled out is you know you know someone who's naughty or you know is um you know or or not able to sit at a certain table or you know go into a certain classroom and, and learn certain languages and stuff it then it just builds up and up and up and up and and that that element of anxiety and stress for someone um you know going into into school can be you know can be devastating if you think about adhds for instance i tend to um, I mean, as adults, we we can kind of decide, you know, kind of whether we want to work for someone or work for ourselves or what job we want to do and what we like doing, what we don't like doing. There's a there's an abundance of choice. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's there's things that we need to do. We're adults at the end of the day. OK, we yeah. you know, but but for, for a child, you know, you think about going into the school, 
yes, they can kind of when they you know go up the ranks of the, the the educational system, they can kind of choose subjects which you know interest them more. But generally, you know, you think about now, if if someone said to you, Kieran, we're now going to sit you in this room for an, an hour, and we're just going to basically talk to you about something that you have no relevance or no interest in to whatsoever, um, you know, you you, you start thinking, oh, you know, how is this? Um, you know, how does this affect me? You take that from a student point of view, and then you put ADHD on top. It's it can be you know really tough for that individual. Yeah, I think we've all been in meetings like that. But <laughs> um, you, you're dead right. I was thinking about this last night. Actually, um, you know, that, that we've we've got so much opportunity as adults that you know, an, an, an adult who learns that they're ADHD, yourself included. You know, you can you can read about it. You can learn what the impact is. You could then potentially choose careers that are going to better reflect what the, some of the challenges and opportunities you have as someone with ADHD, or, or at least go into it eyes wide open. And you and you're dead right. You know, if I don't like sitting behind a desk, I'm going to go and you know work in a trade. And if I don't like working in a trade, I might go into hospitality. And those are, they're all completely significantly different worlds in which everyone ought to be able to find an environment in which they can flourish and enjoy and find some fulfillment from their their careers and i would argue if you if you don't feel that then you you might be in the wrong one for, for kids that are going through a, a quite an antiquated archaic education system you know where's their where's their choice okay we well get to choose between sort of geography or history well as a binary choice especially for someone with adhd that's not much of a choice um and so you're, you're dead right. They can't choose to go to a different school that teaches in a different way or choose to go through a different curriculum or whatever. And I know that there are certain changes that have been made, but, um, you know, James is at a school that's supposed to do sort of manual, there's some manual workshop type type classes. And unfortunately with the pandemic, no one's been able to do any of those. So actually one of the reasons for him wanting to go to this school is to get a bit more hands-on and break up the, the, the sort of classroom work and it yeah. hasn't even be able to do to do that um, but it's, you know, that that limited that limited choice is really debilitating I think absolutely but it's even down to if you think about working habits now I know you you have a um if you don't mind me sharing you have, I, you have a stand-up desk don't you I do it wobbles when I move with that <laughs> so so do you know what even those elements uh, a stand-up desk it, it gives you that you know that that way of going do you know what one you know it kind of helps with you know the, the fitness and the mental and you know keep your you know the stimulation and making sure that you you know you kind of um are able to kind of work more productive so there's a real science behind it um it, you know element of, of doing it um and and whenever i'm working i tend to put my headphones in and i'm listening to classical music just the music no words just the music because that enables me to um to zone out and kind of get into into the group mm -hmm. so so we find our own ways of working. But if, if for instance, I mean, there are some amazing schools out there that are doing some fantastic stuff and they're, they're helping and understanding this element. But but isn't it like the, the two of us are finding our ways to be able to to do our jobs, you know, in a certain way. Stand up desk, I mean, there's, you know, other loads of stuff that we do is is work. We do, you know, if you think about work uh, as such, you know, the workplaces you work with and the organizations you work with, you, you, you know, they talk about wellness, you know, and having a wellness space in their office and meditation and, you know, working for short amounts of time and then, you know, breaking and then resting and then coming back. Do you see what I mean? There's so yeah. many, if you think from a work point of view, there's so much variety that we can do now to help 
the employer, you know, employment side of it. But it's just it's the, the the school system can you know like you say can feel a little bit archaic in in the way that we we structured was sat down you're at a desk you you come in at a certain time you perform um, and then you're graded and then so on. It's just my my thought on it. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think you, you know again, pandemic has highlighted this, hasn't it, with flexible working and we're working remotely and other things. Actually, because of the extended amount of time that it's been in place, you know, we're seeing that. Um, yeah, okay. It doesn't suit everybody to work to be forced to work from home when not to go into the office. Much as it probably doesn't suit everybody to be forced to work in an office if that you know if that doesn't suit them. But having what what we are faced with is the potential future of having a flexible working space and and, and you know, I think hybrid is the key, is is the sort of cliche word at the moment where you can find a balance that suits you suits the business suits the employees and suits your team structure and that sort of thing and and we'll work that balance out over the next couple of years um but you know if you can have that environment in a in a working space that's commercially led in the private sector and people are trying to make profit and they can and, and those businesses can understand the opportunities and benefits that flexible working um offers their employees and the increases in productivity let's not forget that that they see as a result of having happy content and you know well looked after employees there's absolutely no reason that can't be adopted into the school system to help all kids you know forget whether they've got ADHD or not it's it's just provide them with a learning environment in which they can best do what the outcome driver is for the education system which is to educate them Absolutely. But just trying to force people into this really narrowing view of what what normal looks like and only having a system that conforms to that just doesn't seem to be a very healthy way to 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 bring our kids through. And yeah. let's face it, they they will inevitably spend a, a large portion of their adulthood um, coming to terms with that experience um and and overcoming it in, in which is you know ups one of the most upsetting things is i i want as we all do want our kids to be happy absolutely um but but it's almost feels a bit tortuous forcing him to go into a place that just doesn't have the facilities or the ability to be flexible enough to to support him um and allow him a happy, you know, a happy environment to, to do some successful learning, which I've no doubt he would. Bright kid. Absolutely. I'm just going to um, I'm just going to bring up a couple of comments on here. Um, we've got Catherine says school system is currently discriminatory, needs review. Yeah, absolutely. There, there we go. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I just want to bring up um, Kerry. Lee. Dead on, by the way. <laughs> what was that? Sorry. I think that's absolutely dead on. I think yeah, it I, does discriminate, and and just to highlight that point, Catherine. Uh, you know, I know we can't talk to each other, but you know, actually, I um, one of the examples I've used with the school is if you had a child who had a nervous tick, and he's sitting, he or she is sitting in a class, and that tick is disrupting the class, and you would would a teacher, with all reasonableness, ask them to stop doing it. I just don't think they they would or could. I just I think that would be discriminatory. So why is it that for kids with ADHD or other other challenges uh, and other um, diagnoses, 
why should we expect them to behave the way that we, you know, in that conformed way and not allow for them to 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 be their own person? And why can we not make allowances for them? I just don't see it. I think it is discriminatory, yeah. Absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. I'll just bring up, um, Kerry Leo said, uh, schools should help students learn how they learn best as part of the process of educating the whole child. How do we learn that works best for us, like music or stand-up desks, as we mentioned? Imagine if we help ch children learn that earlier about themselves. Kerry, uh, absolutely spot on. And I know, you know, Kerry and myself touched on the, the elements of, um, you know, the stand-up desk, you know, the, the, the time out, the meditation, all these different elements. And, and I don't think it's purely, you know, if you think, I mean, I, I think one of the hardest jobs uh, out there, um, amongst the hardest jobs out there is, is being a teacher. I mean, it's an incredibly mm. difficult uh, job to do, incredibly rewarding. And, and you know, I, I just got so much empathy for, for, for you know, the, the job and the role that they have to do. Uh, but but again, obviously, that you know, they're in a system that is kind of taught to them to actually, you know, teach in a certain way. And there are, like I said, there are some incredible um, things that they do within the schools, uh, especially, you know, the dyslexia schools that I've been kind of working with, the, you know, incredible kind of innovative uh, ways of working. But but like you said, Kieran, it does need to be something that uh, is not just for dyslexics and neurodiverse, but for, for as a whole to kind of just understand the uh, you know, the whole kind of educational side of it is of, of how we work. I completely agree. And, you know, the teachers that, that I've dealt with in the main have been incredibly supportive. They're always looking to try and bend the system, you know, push the boundaries of the system in whatever way they possibly can to help James. And there's never been a question that James's best interests have been at the at the heart of what they're trying to do i think they're working in a defunct system that doesn't allow them to to do anything of any even common sense that that they know would help um that, and they're limited by finance they're limited by the tools that they have by the numbers of people that they have in support for them um you, you know just it, it's really i mean it's like saying giving someone you know i don't know kind of a a hammer and nail and telling them to go and build a house with it it's just you know it's just not possible but if you want to hammer a nail into a wall it's perfect but anything other than that it doesn't work and, and the biggest the, the biggest thing for me darren is that within within all of this is the is the psychological impact on the on the kids that are coming through the system and forget their education uh, we just surely want our kids to come out of education being happy and you know rounded people who understand values and and, and want to go and enjoy their lives and embrace it sure. and you know, whether you've got nine GCSEs or none we people prove this all the time that education doesn't prevent success and actually if if they were educated in a more holistic way that that might encourage or embrace them the opportunity to have more success but the psychological psychological impact is I think massive that like I said I used the word tortuous earlier on if you're if you're putting someone into an environment that they don't enjoy that they can't they, they can't possibly flourish in and no one else around them can help there's only there's only going to be a negative experience there and if that's consistent and repeated over and over and over again you know what's what do we expect the outcome to be well I know that the outcome is poor mental health it yeah. just is it's a traumatic experience 
I mean, if we think about the, you know, the, the educational system and, and you know, for, for me, as, as you know, um, I, you know, the, the education, educational system, I kind of left without any qualifications. And then you're then thrown into, um, you know, the, the real world, I so to speak, you know, the, the working place. And, and it wasn't until kind of a couple of years, uh, you know, about six, seven years ago, I started working with the educational system, you know, within the schools. And then I started thinking to myself, like, how many people at that time, that point, same time of the year across the entire country all leave that, that school and then they all go into the kind of the workplace. And then it's a case of then it's kind of like, you know, it's trying to work out where, where you fit, whether it's an apprenticeship, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, you go straight into a job, whether it's further education. And, it, you know, leaving school with, you know, no qualifications or very little qualifications, but but more importantly, that low self-esteem or the, the confidence element can be really detrimental, you know, because you then got the, the element of trying to apply for a position and leaving out, you know, not being able to get those qualifications that you had, or even then going into the workplace uh, and then thinking to yourself, well, the workplace is just going to be uh, as tough as the school. Am I going to get some support in there? So it's it's a, it's a, it's a real kind of progressive journey, and it, it, if that self esteem is re, you know not played you know played a part in it, can, can really affect an individual handset. Yeah, definitely, and and, and we see that I, I see that um, all the time, really, in, in in my son's approach, which is you know they don't care about me, they don't do anything to help me, you know it's it's the same every time, we just get treated the same way every time, so. The, the school expects him to behave in a certain way and can't do anything about it, which then creates this kind of vicious circle. He then expects them to behave in a certain way and that creates a vicious circle. And then they don't expect him to be able to behave and he doesn't expect them to listen to him. And then so even at the first second of them coming together, well, what's going to happen? All their expectations get fulfilled. And you say, ah, I told you so. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And you're like, well, okay, but it's predictable. So someone needs someone needs to make a change. Uh, and I've talked about this for years with the school. Is actually, if we expect our kids to be self-aware enough to to make a change or to stop behaving in a certain way, if we're in this vicious loop, um, if we expect them to stop that step out of it and do something different to change their futures you're on a hiding to nothing because i just don't see them having the tools to be able to do that yeah so it, it can only be done by the people around them for them to put a stop on it to assess what's going on and try something do something different to try and change the outcome and okay. that, that unfortunately then does transcend through teachers and senior leadership teams in in schools and into the system and into local government central government to you know they're, they're, they're going to create the vicious circle and they're just fulfilling it all the time they Absolutely. need to get out of it and make a change i, I couldn't agree more i'm just going to show um so catherine uh, again um karen i know you were kind of talking to catherine with what you said um so absolutely schools catherine then said absolutely schools should be understanding uh, always of thinking i'm just going to share as well um jonathan mcdonald he said remember that the neurological process of having to continually continually problem solve is like a muscle neurodivergence once uh, free of the negative labeling are superior in all manner of negative uh, tasks 
thank you so, so much for sharing that, um, Jonathan. And then um, we don't have your name, but we will use your comment. Uh, this is the compound effect slash deaths of by thousands of cuts of failures uh, and rejections. We have to keep fighting for our children and this type of work slash education is great. Thank you. I'm not too sure who this was because we don't have your, your name on there, but thank you so much um, for, for Yeah, your, that's great. That's a phrase I've used. I mean, Jonathan's point's absolutely spot on as well. You know, I think there there are such strengths in being able to do that problem solving over and over and over again. It's right that you know you build the strength. And if you can if you can just take away this sort of negative image from in front of someone and they can see what the real world opportunities are like, then you know they're really well really well prepared to deal with it because they're overcoming challenge every day you know not all of us certainly i don't i'm not diagnosed with any condition and so therefore i'm quite fortunate i'm not faced with this challenge to wake up and deal with every single day and in an environment that that that, that doesn't conform to my way of thinking and so for those people that are going through that every day you know they are building up muscles that if they're pointed in the right direction would be phenomenal and uh, and the other the, the anonymous one yeah oh, well, it's not anonymous um it, it's uh, deborah deborah wilson um, hello deborah wilson it's uh that was that deborah was the one who mentioned the you know the the comment uh, about the cuts yeah. and stuff um thank you for sharing yeah. that deborah sorry deborah, i've used that phrase a lot of times when i'm talking to the school that, that you know it, it is potentially it's sound may sound extreme but i think actually it could be practical as well as death by a thousand cuts is it's not getting the mark up on the board that's the problem it's not the first isolation it's not the first attention it's not the first ex temporary exclusion it's that consistent repeated over and over and over again every single day the expectation of that the anxiety of having to face that that you know there's nowhere that you can't get away from it because if he's if, if they don't go to school they're told to get into school which is where we are at the moment and so you know, what did you do? Take them out, and where's the support for, you know, home tutoring and things? It just doesn't seem to be any other option. But absolutely, that um, you know, it's the incremental um, accumulation of every little challenge over and over and over again. You know, it, it just eventually the bucket's full up, and you haven't got capacity to take anymore. Frankly, absolutely. I, I want to share um, a, a friend of mine. Um, Jack Boyle said the education system is designed to produce academics and are judged on this. Now, um, I, I'm, I, I kind of, I, I understand this, and it'd be great to get your views on this, Kieran. I think, you know, with the educational system that we definitely need, and I know we spoke about this before, we definitely need people with, you know, um, you know, the degrees and all these, uh, you know, the educational side of it. We, you know, we, we need thinkers. We need, you know, the, it, the world is made up in a diverse way where we all bring huge amounts of value into it. And mm. I guess what Jack's mentioning there with regards to it's the education system set up to, you know, to, to go out and get your kind of degrees and then go into the workplace. What, what What's your thoughts on this, Kieran? I'm putting you in the hot seat there. Right, right and varied. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I sort of agree with Jack's point. Was it Jack? Yeah, Jack. Yeah, I'm not sure that they're necessarily, necessarily producing academics, but I think they're certainly throwing out people who are academically inclined or or respond well and um, and can learn well in an academic environment. That's, that's for sure. Um, so yeah I, I agree with the with what jack's saying really but the you know 
the, the world's a wonderfully diverse place made up of wonderfully diverse people and it would be pretty bloody boring frankly if if we were all the same right so you know this this kind of uh, this kind of narrow view approach of you can only uh, you know having to stay in edu higher education and then there's a really high percentage of people going to university because you know 10 12 years ago it was any degree is a good degree uh, and actually you're going to need a degree to get a job because jobs were you know jobs were harder to come by and now you see a sort of decline, I guess, in people going to university because actually there's so such good apprenticeship systems out there. I mean, the, the working world is showing flexibility in how it embraces people coming from education and into the working world and how they can learn more and train in specific areas, not just in professional vocations, which historically used to be where you, you go for your degree for. Um, but yeah, I, I I just think it is a cookie cutter mentality, and we're just a, we're just a bit bigger and a bit better than that, aren't we? As a as, as a human race, <laughs> it's, it's just like so naive. Do you think the um it, so so then that brings me on to um kind of uh, the last point I want to co co cover on that element is if we are if we have a school system an education system where we're working to get the you know the the qualifications that you know the, the student needs to then go out to the work workplace if you think about the workplace in it you know is in in its entirety the process of the application process that someone would have to go through. Mm -hmm. There's still that element of being able to, you know, if, if you think about um, you know, I, I would when I kind of worked in retail, I kind of got as high as I could get. And then I was actively told that I couldn't go any further, even though I got to quite a very senior level. I couldn't go any further because I didn't have the qualifications that um, th that if I was applying for that role, you would need. Despite the fact of the 10, 11 years and hundreds of stores and hundreds of staff and millions of pounds that you made for that. That one statement, you know, one statement of you needed a, a degree or something in, in that to get that position. There's still this element within the workplace, isn't there? Um, of the Utter nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's just I, there. Uh, there are a lot of words that spring to mind to describe that, Darren. None of which I'm going to say on a live on LinkedIn. <laughs> in, just nonsense, isn't it? It's each on everyone's abilities. When I talk to clients now about you know not recruiting for skills, but rec uh, not recruiting for um, sort of qualifications and things, but recruiting on values and personality and soft skills. And, and of course, we do, we just know that we spend all of our lives building soft skills. And, uh, you know, sometimes we employ coaches to help us with that and, you know, trainers to help us with that. Mentors are always around us. We're learning this stuff all the time. And actually, there just there doesn't seem to be an environment where that is recognized as something of value for, for kids leaving. Now, of course, they do learn that through families and their you know, friendship and interactions and that sort of thing. Uh, but I think it's it, it's easy to uh, to ignore the negative impact of their the education system. If I said to you, uh, "Are you happy?" and you said, uh, "No, not really." If if you're not happy at work, it would be naive of me to think that you not being happy at work couldn't infiltrate your home life and affect your friendships and your family life, right? Absolutely. So if you're unhappy at school. Of course, it's going to affect your family life and your friendship and your friendship groups and how you behave because it's a really significant part of your life. Huge. All of these expectations and pressures on you to achieve to to behave in a certain way. Absolutely. So, you know, I I just think it's completely naive. Just teach them soft skills and let's you know 
put them on it's team building days and you know doing that sort of stuff just makes such a huge difference absolutely my friend and 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 like i said there there's like you know there's amazing stuff stuff that's going on in the workplace uh and and again obviously there's still loads to be done within that side of it and again obviously in the educational side but hopefully you know with, with talks like this and the amazing work that you know people are doing around the you know the globe are starting to make a bit of a shift in, in a difference in that and uh yeah. you know i, I want to thank you massively we're coming up to time now here and i want to say i know how busy you are my friend and i just want to say a massive thank you for for coming on to uh onto the stories um it's been absolutely brilliant i could i could talk to you for hours and hours um <laughs> uh, we do um but, <laughs> But Kieran, if, if anyone wants to kind of um, get hold of you, um, you know, uh, how, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, that's kind of you. Thanks. I, and, I, and I love talking to you as well. You know, we're good mates and, um, it, you know, this is a topic we're both passionate about. So it, it would be days, not not hours, I reckon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn. So as long as you spell my name properly, you'll find me. But I, yeah. you know, what? I struggle with that all the time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like this. <laughs> Try to put your, your your name in, but um, yeah, but, I think if you yeah. can make a good hash of the first part, you'll probably find me. So that, that's <laughs> that's where anyone would find me. Fantastic, and um, Karen, I want to say a massive, massive thank you for uh, for coming on to the stories. And um, again, I really appreciate your time, and I will see you very soon. Cheers, you are friend. more than welcome. Lovely to see you. Thank you. So guys, that was Kieran. As you uh, can tell, what an incredible chap. He's doing phenomenal work in the, in the coaching section uh, sector. So if you do want um, kind of touch base with him, then please do. Like I said, incredible, incredible chap. Thank you as always for all of your comments. Uh, Kieran and myself, I'm sure I forgot to ask Kieran uh, his permission, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind um, answering any questions that you have, uh, you know, with, with regards to the, the you know, the questions you put in there, any links that you want to share for any articles that will kind of help raise more awareness around ADHD, then please do uh, put these in the comments. We will be back next Friday with a, another incredible guest uh, to share more stories around neuro neurodiversity. And guys, if you would like to be on uh, neurodiversity stories, then please do get in touch. Um, we, we are looking for more and more people to spread more and more awareness. So thank you as always, guys, for uh, tuning in and we'll see you soon. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye.